Qualicum has been supporting the water treatment community since 1990. When it comes to blending your products, you have many companies to choose from. Why choose Qualicum? Because Qualicum support staff contains three certified water technologists. Qualicum ships your product from either Virginia or Nevada. So wherever you are, Qualicum's got you covered. Qualicum can provide you with technical applications, sales, and lab support. To find out more about Qualicum, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash Qualicum. Once again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash Qualicum. At Qualicum, we know the blender matters. Welcome to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. My name is Trace Blackmore, and I get to host this amazing podcast called Scaling Up H2O. And folks, it has just been amazing to meet so many people, to just learn more about the people that create the industrial water world. And coming up very, very shortly, next week, in fact, we are celebrating Industrial Water Week. Now, maybe this is the sixth time you've celebrated Industrial Water Week with us, or maybe this is the first time and you're saying, Trace, tell me more. What is this Industrial Water Week that you speak of? Well, if that's you, don't worry. Industrial Water Week is a holiday that lasts an entire week next Monday through Friday, where we celebrate each and every day how awesome industrial water is. You are in the industrial water treatment industry, and we're going to celebrate you and all the equipment that we treat all next week. It is the sixth time that we have celebrated Industrial Water Week. The Scaling Up H2O podcast has been with you every single Industrial Water Week since inception, and it has become the official way to celebrate Industrial Water Week because we have a brand new episode each and every day next week. And we're gonna start out celebrating pre-treatment on Monday. On Tuesdays, we're going to celebrate boilers. On Wednesday, we're going to celebrate cooling. Thursday, we're celebrating wastewater. And then we're going to wrap up the week and celebrate having a career in industrial water treatment on Friday. We could not fit all of this into one day. That's why this holiday is an entire week long. It's always the first full week during the month of October. So you can mark your calendars for next year. And so many people are celebrating Industrial Water Week. Now, maybe we get a chance to celebrate it together because I will be celebrating Industrial Water Week at the Association of Water Technologies Conference. So that's gonna be taking place in Grand Rapids, Michigan, October 4th through 7th. And if you are there, I want to see you. I wanna celebrate Industrial Water Week with you, and I wanna hear 
what your best industrial water week story is. I want to hear how you celebrate that with your company. And maybe you're thinking, I don't celebrate it. I don't do anything with my company. And folks, if that is you, that's okay. We can fix you. We can make sure that you do the right thing from this point out. Let's face it. There are so many things that we have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Why not take a little time just to enjoy the industry that we are in? And it's an entire week next week where we can do that very thing. And I'm hoping that the Scaling Up Nation really embraces, let's share ourselves with each other. And each and every day, as I mentioned, we're celebrating pre-treatment on Monday, boilers on Tuesday, cooling on Wednesday, wastewater on Thursday, and then careers on Friday. Each and every day, my call to action is for you to take a picture and post it to your favorite social media platform and hashtag IWW23 of you and your favorite piece of equipment that we are celebrating that day. And we're going to see very quickly that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. You are listening to this podcast at the same time tens of thousands of other people are listening to this podcast. And I hope that empowers you because that tells us that we are not alone. It tells us that we are going through the same thing that other people are going through. And I have to tell you, on days that are just so trying, that makes me feel better to know, one, that there are other people out there that are experiencing the same thing that I am, and two, that I am part of something bigger than myself. And we know we call that the Scaling Up Nation. And I am so proud to be part of the Scaling Up Nation. I guess I'm the tribe leader of the Scaling Up Nation, and it has truly been an honor to watch the Scaling Up Nation grow each and every week with each and every podcast. So I hope the entire Scaling Up Nation celebrates Industrial Water Week next week and share some pictures with us. Hashtag IWW23 of all of the fun things that you are doing within your week. And I think you're really going to enjoy the results as you scroll through all of the different posts that people are doing. Earlier, I mentioned the Association of Water Technologies Conference is taking place next week in conjunction with Industrial Water Week. Well, if you are a business owner, it is not too late. October 3rd, one day before the AWT conference starts, the AWT Business Owners Committee is having a special one-day conference for you. And this is where all the business owners get together and speakers come in and we talk about best practices and share ideas and it is amazing. It's kind of what we do with the Rising Tide Mastermind, but it's action-packed, all cooked into one day and you don't have all the follow-ups and, and items that we do to try 
to help each individual within the Rising Tide Mastermind. But maybe you're a business owner and you're trying to think, hey, I wonder what it's like to be part of something bigger than just being part of my company. This is a great way for you to meet people that are in the same boat as you. This is a great way for you to get an action list of maybe some things you can go back and immediately start with your company. I have been to every single one of these and I have not been disappointed. So if you want to find out more information about the business owners meeting or the Association of Water Technologies Convention and Expo, you can go to our website and we will have a link that will take you directly to both of those items. And of course, if you go to our events page, we have everything that we could find on what is going on in the industrial water world so you can go to one place and figure out where you want to go. What do you need to hone your skills on? What is available for you to do that? And with that, you will be able to pick and choose all of the different things that are happening within the water industry we will send you directly to their site and we actually have a button that will put things on your calendar so it has all of that information for you. My staff is amazing and they're making it very easy for you to raise the bar in the industrial water treatment industry. Nation, I have to say, one of my favorite shows that we do are the Pinks and Blues episodes. And I know I've said this on the mic before, on the air, where people have asked me, where does pinks and blues come from? And that was an older terminology that my dad used to use all the time. When he was in his test kit, he said he was running pinks and blues. And I guess if we look at the hardness test, we go from pink to blue. So I guess that's where that comes from. But I use that when I say we're having a pinks and blues episode that we're just talking technically. This is normally a question that people have asked me around some particular item, or maybe I was training a group of people and there was a particular theme of questions and that sparked an idea. I get ideas all over the place to bring back to you the Scaling Up Nation. Well, today we are going to play an encore edition of episode 237. And this was a Pinks and Blues episode that I did about cooling towers. It was one of our most popular episodes last year. And then if you were keeping score, we divided it into two parts. So you're gonna hear part one today, a rebroadcast, and you're gonna wonder, hey, where is part two? And if you go to 237, you can hear the original broadcast that we are doing today. And then you're gonna to go to 238 and you're gonna say, hey, that's not the continuation. So, okay, I'll go to 239. Well, that's not the continuation either. You got to go to 240, and I don't know why we did that. If you've been a listener of this podcast, you know we've always done, I say us, I have always done weird stuff with the numbering. And if I recall, that was a longer episode. We did not plan on all the information that just came out as I was recording that episode, and we had our podcast calendar already 
set. So we made you wait two additional weeks for the conclusion of part two. So if you want to hear the conclusion of this episode, you're going to have to go back to episode 240. And of course, what are we talking about on episodes 237 and 240? Well, it was all things cooling towers. I had just come from a conference where so many people, it wasn't a water treatment conference, it was a water-based conference, and so many people were asking me questions about what they should know about cooling towers. So I took a lot of their questions. I took a lot of questions that I get when I teach for the Association of Water Technologies, and then I took questions that many of you sent in to ask me to answer on this podcast And I just had a great time recording that show. And that's why you're going to hear it right now. Scout Nation, some of my favorite shows to do are when you ask questions to the Scaling Up H2O mailbag on how to do something. I love it because I know we're talking about the right stuff. Now, how do you get something into the Scaling Up H2O mailbag? Well, that could not be simpler. Simply go to scalinguph2o.com and you have two ways to do that. The easiest way is on the right-hand side of the screen, you can click on leave voicemail and that will allow you to easily record your voice and we can air that on this fine podcast. Or you can go to our show ideas page by navigating up in the header and you can type out exactly what your idea is. So that's exactly what this person did. They want to know all things about cleaning a cooling tower. What are the do's and the don'ts? When should it be scheduled? All of that stuff, we're all treating cooling towers. Most of us are treating cooling towers. We all know that they need to be cleaned. So what else do we need to know around that? Nation, getting to the core of this question is around scheduling how often a cooling tower needs to get cleaned. But here's the thing. Scheduling deals with a bunch of unknowns. We just don't know how dirty that tower's going to get within a particular amount of time. Also, we normally find that towers are cleaned as a reactive approach, that something's not working right instead of a proactive approach. Now, I have a customer that told me one time that they actually, they were a prospective customer at the time. They have a little better way of thinking about things after working with us. But they told us that they clean their cooling tower every four years, whether it needed it or not. Folks, that is not being proactive by any stretch of the imagination. So that begs the question, how often do we need to clean our cooling tower? And to answer that, we need to look at two things, how a cooling tower works and how water treatment is able to perform what it needs to do once it gets in the water. So let's look at a definition of what a cooling tower is. A cooling tower is a heat exchanger. That is the baseline, very bottom definition. A cooling tower is a heat exchanger. 
How does it exchange that heat? It exchanges that heat by air and water being brought into direct contact with each other, and then that air takes the heat, thereby reducing the heat within the water. And then that cooled water goes into the system, grabs more heat, and it just does the process all over again. So knowing what a cooling tower does, we know we need as much air to touch, as much water as possible, and we call this surface area. Just imagine if the cooling tower supply line, the big pipe that goes on the top of the cooling tower, was not broken up in any way, and it was just allowed to drop completely through the center of the cooling tower. The only surface area would be the outside of that eight plus inch water column. Maybe it's a 20 inch water column. Not a lot of surface area. So the only place that the air could come in contact with that warm water is on the very edges. And the bulk of all that water is now protected within the water, not seeing any of that air. We're not getting any heat transfer. That's why a cooling tower, its job is to break up that water into tiny water droplets. And those are the tiny water droplets that you see falling through the cooling tower. And that is how a cooling tower can efficiently cool the water. Now, the pieces that specifically are in the cooling tower that help us get those water droplets are either a hot deck or distribution nozzles. So once all the water is piped back to the cooling tower, it then goes into a distribution deck. And a distribution deck is just basically a big platform that has a bunch of holes in it. And then underneath those holes are distribution nozzles to kind of swirl all the water around and get it evenly over the top of the tower fill. Now the tower fill is made to keep all those water droplets as separated as possible and allow an interchange where we have as much surface area as possible for the air to interface with that water, thereby taking the heat from the water into the air, releasing it up into the atmosphere so we have cooler water able to go back and get more heat just to do the process over it again. Now, you might have a cooling tower that does not have a hot deck. And what it does, it just has distribution nozzles. And the point of that is, is it's just simply swirling around all the water, making it just like the other one, making it go through the tower fill. And of course, the cleaner that all of these things are, the more they're going to perform efficiently. And when I say efficiently, I mean they're able to keep those droplets as small as possible. They're able to give as much surface area to the water and the air as much as possible. Remember, a cooling tower is all about exchanging heat. Now, by default, the cooling tower also cleans the air that gets sucked into it. Yes, the same air that we're relying on to exchange the heat from the water has stuff in it. If somebody's cutting the grass right by the cooling tower, 
the cooling tower will suck in all those grass clippings. If there are a bunch of trees around there, if they're doing construction, whatever is in the air is now in your water system because the cooling tower sucked it in with it. Anything that comes in with the air gets washed out as the cooling tower water comes in contact with it. And ultimately, that means you now, as the water treater, have to deal with it because now you have all this dirt and debris in the tower. It also means that wherever the debris decides to settle will reduce the designability of not only the cooling tower, but also every heat transfer surface that it comes in contact with. Now, let's look at the cooling tower first. Less surface area for the water to come in contact with the air. That means that the cooling tower is less efficient as a heat exchanger. Now, maybe at first you won't see the loss of the ability to cool the water, but you will see it in the amount of energy that is needed in order to efficiently cool that water. More energy means more cost to run the cooling tower. And a lot of times people look at cost as water treatment. They look at cost as I want to buy this new piece of equipment. Those are all cost, but a lot of times they don't look back and say, how is this going to become an investment that the normal operation that I have to pay for is actually reduced thereby once I pay back whatever that amount for that equipment is, I can now start enjoying the benefits of less operating costs because they're all working together. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you what I hope you can do with your customers is take them into this discussion so they realize when you recommend a piece of equipment, it's not just a check that they are writing, it's an investment that they are making so their system either stays cleaner, but by all means is more efficient, thereby making it less expensive for them to run. The other thing that our recommendations do is we use less natural resources to get the job done. Well, of course, we've got to create that power from somewhere, and then we have to pay for that power. So whatever your goal is to be greener, to save more green, we've got that covered with our water treatment recommendations. Now, the cooling tower not running efficiently, what does that mean? That means that the fan needs to come on more than if it would if the surface area were there. And why isn't the surface area there where all that dirt and debris is now in spaces that the water should be in? Or it's in spaces that are meant to, uh, in the distribution nozzles, to swirl out that water so we can get a large distribution area. If there's any dirt in those areas, it means we're going to have less heat transfer surface, and that means it's going to be less efficient. In order to overcome that, the fan of the cooling tower will have to come on. And of course, the fan takes energy. We have to pay for that energy, and there's your cost, and there are your natural 
natural resources. Now, a lot of people think that the cooling tower cools the water by the fan coming on. And you know that you have seen that cooling tower operating without the fan being on. A cooling tower is a heat transfer device because it allows air to interface with water and that interface is the heat exchange. Now, eventually all the ambient air within that cooling tower will become heat saturated. And when that happens, that's when the fan comes on to draw more air up and through that cooling tower so it can continue the process. So if the fan's coming on on cooler days and there's not much of load on that system, that could be a sign that we do not have good water distribution within the cooling tower. Again, it is a heat exchanger because we have to have a lot of surface area between that water and the air. And if there is dirt and debris in that tower, somewhere it is not allowing us to be efficient. Now, how can you tell with this? Well, if you can get into the cooling tower, maybe you can stick your head in, maybe you can just simply take one of the louvers off and you can look in, you should be able to see a good even distribution. Now, if you look in and you see an area that looks like it's maybe white and has some evaporative salts on it, well, that's telling you that something is blocking the path of water to get there and that equals inefficiency. And by all means, whenever you're going inside a cooling tower, make sure you are keeping yourself safe. Make sure you're wearing gloves. If you are touching tower fill or tower louvers, sometimes those things can be sharp. So just make sure you are being protected. We've got fans in those things. And if you stick your head through a fan, when the belt starts rotating it around, you don't want to be there. So don't ever do that. So make sure you know exactly what you're doing before you go into the cooling tower. And going into is a finger going into a cooling tower or just barely sticking your head into it. You are going into that space. Make sure you're always safe. And when you're there being safe, you're looking for good distribution. You're looking for all the surfaces to be wet. And if they are, cooling tower is probably doing a pretty good job with distribution. But if you're seeing areas where it's not distributing, folks, it is not efficient. And we need to encourage our clients to get the contractors out there to either clean or repair or whatever needs to be done because a non-efficient heat transfer device is not doing a very good job at transferring heat. Now, if the cooling tower is not doing its job in transferring heat, it doesn't just stop there. Everything is now receiving more heat, which means the chiller has to work harder. Well, folks, if the chiller has to work harder, it's going to send even more heat to the cooling tower. Yes, that's the same cooling tower that wasn't able to get rid of all the heat like it was supposed to. And then not to mention all the heat transfer surfaces out in the system that the design is meant to take the heat from. Now, we can overcompensate that. Again, the tower fan can come on. The chiller can work a little bit harder. And of course, that pump, if it has a variable drive on it, it's going to work a lot harder and a lot longer. Again, equating that I need to run that system longer and harder, which means somebody has to pay for all the natural resources that are going into that machine. 
all because it is inefficient. So that really gets into the why we need to clean a cooling tower, but we really haven't gotten into how often do we need to clean a cooling tower. So my customer that said, we clean our cooling tower every four years, whether it needs it or not, I will give you a hint, that is not a good answer and that is never the right answer. But outside of that, how do you know how often a cooling tower needs to be cleaned? I heard my friend Mark Lewis tell one of his customers this once, and they asked him, how often should we be cleaning our cooling tower? Mark told them that the dirt that settles out on the bottom of the tower basin should never exceed one quarter inch. And I love this answer because it wasn't based on time, it was based on function. It was also based on making sure we were constantly observing what the tower was trying to tell us. By the way, that's our superpower as water treaters. We have many. That's one of our superpowers is we are able to communicate with all this heat transfer equipment and we can then relay the messages that it can't do itself to the people that own that equipment so they can do something with it. So this gets them involved with going out, looking at the cooling tower, seeing what the distribution is like, but also seeing how much debris is actually in the bottom of the cooling tower. And I know what you're saying, Trace, who really cares about the debris in the bottom of the cooling tower? There's no heat transfer that's taking place there. And you're 100% right. So certainly if you have dirt and debris in the bottom of the tower basin, you know that on the heat transfer surfaces within the system, you are going to have dirt and debris there as well. And then we are not able to grab that heat in order for that process to take place. So that's just a, a quick and easy way to see you know, how often we should do that based on what the air is that's being pulled in, based on how long the tower's being run. But I also know you're probably thinking that we're leaving something out. Now, if you have been a longtime listener of the show, you know I preach the gospel of water treatment. And I don't preach the trinity of water treatment. I preach the quadrinity of water treatment. What I mean by quadrinity is we as water treaters need to deal with four areas in order to have a complete water treatment program. Now, those four areas, water's the universal solvent. Given enough time, water versus whatever you put it in, water will eventually corrode it. So we have to slow down that corrosion. Can't stop corrosion, but we can dramatically slow it down. The next thing is scale. We have a lot of dissolved solids within the water that we are treating. And when that dissolved solids precipitates out and it will normally precipitate out on our heat transfer surfaces first, we need to make sure that that is minimized and or eliminated. The third item is microbial fouling. We know that things grow within our cooling systems and we have to deal with that. Now, when I say we have to deal with that, I mean from an efficiency standpoint. Now, too often it's misunderstood what microbial fouling control means, and I'm here to tell you that it is efficiency, not Legionella. 
Now, you might be thinking, well, Trace, we've got to take care of Legionella. And you're right, but there's only so much we as water treaters can do without our customers committing to all the things that they have to do. They have to make sure that they're authorizing and paying for all the tests that we need to do to monitor that Legionella is being kept at bay. They're the ones that need to initiate the plan on how we're going to do all of those things. Now, we can definitely be involved and we've got great information that we can share with them on that. But legally, we can't create that plan. We can't do that plan without them being involved with it. And then, of course, doing the things that we need to above just an efficiency standpoint. Now we're trying to eliminate a specific species and eliminate's not the right word, but people use that, which is why I bring it up. It's to keep it at bay. It's to monitor it. And when it gets to a certain level, then we knock it down to another level. By the way, a successful Legionella program is not that you have no Legionella in the system ever. It's that you know how much Legionella is in the system and you are able to take corrective action to bring it back to a level that's not historically going to get people sick. And all that's laid out in the plan So all that to say, we look at it for an efficiency standpoint. And then the last leg is general dirt and debris. Well, the cooling tower, it's a big air washer. It's sucking in all that air and anything that is in the air is now going to get washed out into the cooling tower. We talked about that before. And you're saying, well, Trace, my products don't do anything for that. How am I responsible for that? And I'm going to say, yeah, you're probably partially right. Our products do allow things to stay kind of fluid along with the water longer so we can do something with it. But if we don't have anything there to do something with it, then you're probably right. Now, what is the thing that we need there to do something with? Cue the entrance of the filter. That's right. We need some sort of filter. Now, somebody's probably also saying, Trace, you're talking about water chemistries, and now you're talking about something mechanical that's out of the realm of water treatment. And it really depends on how you look at it. I really believe that you have to have mechanical and chemical or whatever type of water treatment you have working together or you're not going to have the best water treatment program that you have. Think about it. If you have a bunch of dirt and debris in the system, that's just gonna allow a lot of places for this microbial stuff to start sitting down camp. If you have a bunch of uneven surfaces within the system, i.e. dirt and debris, you're gonna have nucleation sites where you can precipitate out and start creating scale. And if we have all this dirt and debris that's sitting on our heat transfer surfaces, well, we can't get our great corrosion products to that surface and we're going to have corrosion. So they really have to work together or we're not going to be able to do our job properly. So with all of that, I call it the quadrinity. Still, the question is hanging out there. How often do we clean the cooling tower? And that, of course, depends on how much dirt and debris is getting sucked in and now how much dirt and debris is actually getting filtered out. And I hope that you see how important a filter is 
because the cleaner we can keep the heat transfer media, the cleaner we can keep the heat transfer surfaces, not only the longer that we can go in between cleanings, but the more efficient all of that equipment can be. And that is what's going to save the customer money. That is what's going to save everybody from using more natural resources than we have to. And now you're probably saying, Trace, I have talked to people about putting some sort of filtration. And yes, I'm specifically staying away from specific type of filtering devices. That's a show in its own. But for now, we're just going to talk about it as a filter. Well, when you put a filter on, the people that make the filters are very proud of them. And our customers a lot of times get sticker shock and they think, well, I've run for this long without one. I'm not going to invest X because it doesn't look like that I need it. I hope that through this conversation, you can see that there is an entire dialogue that you need to have with your customer to make sure that they understand the importance of making sure you're doing every single part of that quadrinity. And without a filter, folks, you just cannot do it. The cooling tower is bringing in debris with it every time any air comes in. We have to do something with that. So as you advising your customer, make sure they understand that it's not an expense. It is an investment. It's an investment that will give them a return over a certain amount of time. Now, how will it do that? Well, they're going to have to spend less money on operating all this heat transfer equipment. The heat transfer equipment is going to run more efficient for a longer period of time, and you will be able to reduce the amount of cleanings that you have to perform. A lot of times we overclean to overcompensate for not having filtration in the system. So if all of those things are brought in front of your customer, you are now able to put that in comparison to however much that filter is, and then they can see after so many months, maybe it's even so many years, that they will be making money back on that investment. And I hope that that is a totally different conversation for you to be able to get that fourth tier so we can have the quadrinity, so we can have a proper and complete water treatment program. Remember, the quadrinity is the balance of chemical and mechanical working together so we can get the optimal job done. Scaling Up Nation, without a doubt, my favorite episodes are our Pinks and Blues episodes. And there's only one way that I can do Pinks and Blues episodes. You have to let me know what you want me to answer, what you want me to talk about, what you want me to explore, because otherwise, I don't know those things. So if you tell me what you want, I will do my best to turn that into a pinks and blues episode. Now, if you want the continuation of the episode you just heard, go ahead and listen to episode 240, and then you will hear the full item that we just listened to. Now, with that, 
I have heard so many companies use the Scaling Up H2O podcast as part of their training program. And let's face it, we spend a lot of time behind the wheel And what better way to spend that time, if you're in Atlanta, you're either fussing at the traffic that you can do nothing about, or you're learning about water treatment, listening to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And that's what I'm hoping that you are doing. And if you know somebody that's new in the water treatment industry, recommend that they listen to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. It is a great idea for you to look through our show catalog and come up with shows that you want them to listen to. You might want to re-listen to them. Now, the next time you get together with that person, you have so much information to talk about. And as you know, we only have about an hour on each podcast. So there's only so much that we can cover within that time, but that now lays an entire landscape of items that you can talk about with this other individual. It allows them to come up with so many questions and for you to expand on whatever we're talking about here on Scaling Up H2O. I've heard of so many people, so many companies that are doing that with success. So if you're not doing that, that is something that you can augment your training program with. And folks, it is 100% free. It will cost you absolutely nothing and it will get you so much farther within your standing training program. Well, something else that's going to get you farther in your water treatment training is this brand new periodic water table with James. Hello and welcome to the periodic water table with James, where we think and learn about water chemistry drop by drop. Please use your week to search online, ask your colleagues, or even pick up a book to learn more about each week's periodic water table topic. If you do, at the end of the year, you'll be 52 water chemistry smarter. So let's raise the water table of knowledge together and get started. Today's topic is sodium bromide or NABR. I tried to think of a bromide to say with this one, but my brain had no reaction. How soluble is sodium bromide? Is sodium bromide itself a biocide? If not, how is it used for microbiological control? When mixing sodium hypochlorite and sodium bromide, what is the theoretical mixture ratio to achieve complete conversion? Should an excess of sodium hypochlorite be fed to ensure complete conversion? What if you want a mixture of both hypochlorous acid and hyperbromous acid? What ratios of sodium hypochlorite and sodium bromide should you feed? What challenges could one face when using sodium bromide for microbiological control? Remember, knowledge is power, and taking the time to learn more about water chemistry each week will help make you a force to be reckoned with. Be sure to post what you learn to social media and tag it with hashtag watertable23 and hashtag scalingupH2O. I look forward to learning more from you. Thank you, James. And Nation, if you have not kept up with Periodic Water Table with James, it's okay. 
You can go back and you can listen to each and every episode of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Of course, that's what I would prefer that you do, but you can also look at our show notes page and we have links to all of those within the show notes page. And let's face it, if you do each and every week of the periodic water table with James, you are going to be 50 times, I'm sorry, my math is off, 52 times smarter. That's better than 50 at the end of the year with all of the chemistries that we are using. And of course, James does such a creative format where he's giving you questions and you are doing the research. We talked about training programs. My team here has actually taken those and they've expanded on those questions. And when they do their regular meetings, they're talking about those very topics and it's led into some very cool conversations. Nation, if we are not constantly learning new items and continuing to keep up to date the things we already know, this becomes a very mundane industry. And my father always told me, if you get bored in this industry, it is an indicator that you are not doing it correctly. And you can fix that. If you realize that, that is a check engine light going off. Now, we haven't ruined the engine yet, but folks, we are on our way of doing so. And if you continue in your day-to-day -day with that check engine light on and you are bored and you do not think this job has any purpose and you're just wash, rinse, and repeating, you're probably already burned out. You're definitely going to stay that way. The magic wand to fix that is you do something new each and every time you go in someplace. And it can be super, super small. And that little nudge just brings all sorts of life back to this amazing job. How do I know it's an amazing job? Folks, we have a whole week of holiday next week to celebrate this amazing job. I am so glad that I am in a career within industrial water, and I'm so glad that you are as well. Folks, happy Industrial Water Week early. Join us next week for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday for a brand new episode each and every day next week. If you're at the AWT, make sure you come and find me. And there's actually a gift for all of you on Wednesday's episode. You'll have to tune in to figure out what that is. But I can't wait until Industrial Water Week. Folks, have fun celebrating, and I hope to see you at AWT. Have a great week, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by the Rising Tide Mastermind. The Rising Tide Mastermind is where people just like you get together every week to help each other with issues. Let's face it, issues are hard, so why start from square one when somebody can tell you what they've done with a similar issue? If this sounds like something that's interesting to you, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to see if the Rising Tide Mastermind is right for you.